Are you at your point where you think you've hit your bottom or maybe that there's just no way you're ever going to feel like things can change? I was like that. I really was. And I want you to know, my name is Bromo, by the way. I want you to know that there is a way out. Please join us for my podcasts. Well, you look at that. It's already January 24th. Good grief. This year's sailing by. My name is Bromo. This is There Is A Way Out. I am an alcoholic. Sobriety date is 2-17-09. I'm almost done with my story. <laughs> Look, here's the thing. I've repeated this story before. I appreciate all of you who have heard it. And I love the comments. Thank you. The comments are that um, it's never too many times you can hear a story. And I agree with that. But my favorite part, of course, is always when I put others on and that will happen soon. And you'll be able to share your stories. This is for all of us, really. Uh, sobriety is a very selfish, a very uh, important part of your day-by-day journey. And uh, I've said this many times before. I am not an expert. I don't have any kind of a, you know, paperwork or document that says I am, which I just have life experience. I just have experience in being sober with strength, hope, and And as such, my goal, of course, is to have somebody who may be on the fence, maybe questioning their own drinking, someone else, maybe their family member or friend, and uh, maybe someone who's just starting out trying to be sober. You can um, hopefully listen to this and gain some, well, not knowledge, but you can listen to the way, for me, there was no way I was going to stay sober. No way in heck. And it was a fight all the way. It still is. And I'm just, I just hope that somebody can get something out of it. I left you last episode. I think this is number eight already, if you can believe it or not. My last episode was I bombed out after I went through outpatient, relapsed. Um, I was in the hospital and not that I was in the detox and I had a tr- horrible case of hallucinating. I've never experienced anything like that before, ever. That same counselor that I had in the first go around at the outpatient program came around, I believe, the day after that uh, experience that I went through. I hallucinated big time. I saw spiders on the wall. I wound up uh, going over to the window. The window was kind of uh, shaded out. You could barely see through some of the cracks. And I, I saw men with helmets carrying guns. I saw people looking right at me through the window and then I heard noises of people saying that they were going to come in and shoot everybody and then I went crazy. Crazy so much that they put me on a blanket or a sheet lifted me up in the air so I wouldn't hurt myself and I had about four or five people, hold, big huge guys and gals holding the blanket and looking down at me telling me to relax. Was told later by my counselor that I was maybe on the verge of wet brain. And then some other people said maybe it was just some of the drugs that I was on, some of the medicine that I was on helping me detox. Whatever it was, was frightening. So I come, uh, I get out of outpatient program and I relapse. And um, now I'm ready to go back in for my second go around. Same place, same counselors. And this time the counselor comes over to me and says, look, Something didn't work last time. 
Now, what makes us think that you're ready this time? And I was like, because I really want it. I really want it. And I tried to sound convincing. I really want this. I do. And I was just saying it uh, out of uh, the fact that I, I knew that that's what they wanted to hear. And I was trying to convince them and myself, more so myself. I really want this. Again, once again, they gave me the ability to go home, back to my same place where all the doomsday drinking and all that happened. Back to the same place in Mission Beach. Like I said, again, Disneyland for alcoholics or anybody who's addicted to drugs or anything like that. Mission Beach was a very young area, bars everywhere, up and down the street. So so uh, I go back into the uh, second round of outpatient, and I tell everybody, of course, new members of the class, what went on, and I told everybody the slip that I made. I wasn't going to meetings like I should. Um, I didn't spend any time on my recovery. I thought it would come to me. Um, I just laid around waiting for me to stay sober, which doesn't work, by the way. So as, again, I reached round two of my outpatient program, I'm going through the same motions, kind of, and I'm being a little bit more assertive in my program. I remember going to some meetings with the intent on going and this time getting it. And man, I would last about 15 minutes before I got bored to death. Uh, really, literally, I, I don't, I, I'm trying to think now. I don't think that this is a mandatory going to a meeting and have my slip signed. It may have been. If it was, I went to one of those meetings where they signed my slip first, which is always wrong. For those of you that have been in trouble and have been mandated by the courts where you have to go to a meeting and you have to get it signed, usually they wait till the end. And it's a slip of paper that the secretary or whoever from the uh, AA meeting will sign and document it so you can bring it back as proof that you were there. Well, I was going to these meetings walking from my uh, condo, which was about a mile away, and walk up the stairs to this uh, AA meeting place and get my paper signed first, last about 15 minutes with my cup of coffee, which got cold quick, get bored, bored, bored. I didn't want to even hear the stories. I wasn't listening. If I was, I was pretending like I was listening. So I'd walk out of there. I would sneak out of there. Nobody really was paying attention to me anyway. I sat in the back, of course, and I would walk back home. That got old quick. I think I maybe lasted, again, I think this was a five or six week program, which was three times a week, outpatient, where I went in Monday, Wednesday, Friday night, like six to nine, and uh, did nothing on Tuesdays, Thursdays. I was not working uh, because, once again, my workplace was taking care of my recovery. Probably about, you know, once again, I wish I could remember every single detail, but again, about three weeks in, I got bored. And a little voice said, you know what? Let's try this differently <laughs> this time, okay? So I eased into it and bought myself a big tall beer, cracked it open without any reservation at all at home. And I knew that if it was a Wednesday night when I got home, 
if they were going to give me the P test, it wouldn't be till Friday night. So I would stop. Maybe I'll have a cold one on Thursday just to get that taste of alcohol, not necessarily the beer. Get that taste of alcohol in my system. Ah, there it is. And I was fooling myself. The problem is when I got out of the outpatient program and I was conning everybody, including my counselors, telling them all these meetings I was going to and these plans. My family was proud of me. I had already slipped mentally and physically. Here's the deal again. I believe I had another week when I got out of the outpatient program to go back to work. So I had a lot of time. Idle time on your hands, especially for an alcoholic, is dangerous. And what I would do is, since now everybody knew what I was going through, including some of the liquor stores around my area, because I'm such a blabbermouth, you know, I go in, hey, everybody, and everybody kind of knows me in that area. I couldn't go into Saskas, the bar. I could not go into the bar to drink. So I remember one morning I woke up and grabbed my keys. And in San Diego, they don't start serving um, alcohol or they don't start selling alcohol at stores until like 6 a.m. And I remember like a thief in the night or like a thief in the early morning, I walked through the alleyways so nobody would see me. <laughs> and then uh, I'd go into the store and I'd buy the most goofiest stuff to make it look like I wasn't an alcoholic. For instance, I'd buy like a broom, maybe some... Uh, carpet cleaning soap and a big old bottle of vodka. And one time I went in there like a thief in the morning, thief in the night, through the alleyways into the store, brought those items over, and I was about $5 short, maybe $10 short. And I looked at the gal who's looking straight at me and I go, "Well, look, maybe I don't I said to myself, "Look, maybe I don't need yeah, maybe I don't need the uh, shampoo stuff for my carpets. And I don't really need the... Yeah, she's looking at me. Yeah, I know. I know what you need. I'll just take this and paid for my alcohol. And she knew. She could tell I was... She had a... I, she could tell I had a problem. I wrapped that baby up, that bottle, along with maybe a big, huge, tall boy of beer. One can. And I walked back to my apartment so nobody can see me and start drinking again. And this time I was hitting it pretty hard. Well, I was back to the normal pattern, let's say, but now I'm hiding. I am watching my back everywhere. And when I do go back to work, finally, I am lying through my teeth again. I am hoping that nobody catches any smell on me. I'm continuing to work like I do, but I'm starting to call in sick now a little bit more. And I had never done that before. I don't like calling in sick. I love my work. I love my job. But man, I started calling in sick. And then when the sickness calls came in, I would plan on like maybe on a Tuesday. Well, just to show them I'm sick, I better call in on a Wednesday. Well, just to make sure that I'm feeling better, I better call in. Hey, look, they would say, why don't you just take the rest of the week off? Make sure you're better. And, I, you know, red flags came up uh, among my fellow employees when I was calling in sick. The rumors were that I was drinking again, and they were right. 
I came back to work to try to act like my normal self uh, and try to pretend like, oh, yeah, I feel great. Oh, yeah, I've been sober now such and such days. It's wonderful. And I would go in and talk to that traffic reporter, the one that's been sober for so long, and lie through my teeth. Oh, the meetings are wonderful. Oh, I'm well, I am learning so much. The other day I heard, blah, 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 and I would lie and make up some story. And she would kick back and look at me suspiciously and go, yeah, that's got, that's awesome. Do you have a sponsor yet? No, 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 no. I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I don't, but I'm looking around for one. Mm. She had me pegged. And again, I'm trying to fool everyone by putting antiperspirant, however you pronounce it, all over my body, bathed in it almost, because my sheets now when I'm waking up, is just lathered with liquor. It's just lathered with vodka from my body. And my roommate now, she knows the drill. She knows I'm drinking again. She's not pushing me on it. She received criticism much later on, but she's she's an adult. I'm an adult. What is she supposed to do? You know, I'm barely paying rent and barely making, um, making it with uh, day by day. Uh, spending, I don't know how much money on alcohol. Again, now I feel like I'm being suffocated because I haven't, that bar scene is taken away from me unless I go somewhere else where nobody knows who I am. I'm almost getting tired of lying, you know, but I got to have it. I have to have it really, really bad. And so that pattern happened until I became in a funk. I became in a funk and I, uh, again, collapsed and I was uh, sent to the hospital and uh, dried up, so to speak, De- uh, be- became hydrated, I guess you would say. Um, we talked about what to do when I got out. We said we can't go to the same outpatient program as somebody suggested that I go to a 28-day, we call them 28-day spin dry. I went to a place called Scripps McDonald Center. Now, this is a facility where you stay. You don't get to go home. Pretty nice place. It was a hospital, but they look like little hotel rooms. I had a roommate, but I went in right before, uh, right before Christmas, I believe. Maybe right after. I went in, and I had my stuff packed. And it was a little, uh, yeah, it was a lot scary because now I'm staying over there for 28 days. There's no way now I'm going to relapse here unless I leave the facility outright. And my mom and my stepdad would come out to see me once a week. And at this point, my mom was really, really weak and having a real tough time getting around. But she wanted to come see her son, me. She wanted to come and hear my lies about how, mom, I'm in the right place. I'm going to get better. I'm done. I am done. This is my bottom. I promise she'd be part of my program. And now in this Scripps McDonald Center, we went through the steps for the first time really in my life, but we only went through steps one through four. And we had a new set of counselors and we'd sit around in a small circle and talk about our lives. Whatever assignments they gave us, I know that they strictly told us a couple things. A, one, if they ask you how you're feeling, don't, don't, don't joke 
about saying, I feel like taking my life, because if you do, they don't take that as a joke. They will take you away and wrap you up in a, what they called it, a love me jacket, and they will observe you for like 48 hours. So don't even joke about it. It's a serious thing, and it, it should be. But sitting around in this room of a circle of people, a little bit, a little bit more intense than the outpatient program ones, we talked about our lives and why we drank, and you know it became more of a breaking down how our how our how each person was doing mentally and physically. We had some games we would play outside. We had music therapy was one of our classes. Yeah, they had some instruments, and we would go and you know. We'd wake up at a certain time. The guys would eat in one corner of the hospital area. The the women would eat in another corner. The women, of course, had their rooms they stayed in. We had ours. Um, I might be wrong. I forget what that what it was called, but they gave us a little pill to help us go to sleep, and that was like the highlight of the day. And that worked for just a little bit. But man, that got old because I got used to it. My body absorbed it, wanted more, but they're not they're not going to give me any more. The food was good. All of that was good. And I remember once, my, one of my first three or four days in this hospital, this doctor, uh, this guy comes over and he says, hey, doctor, such and such wants to see you in the back. I'm like, okay, because we had just taken medical uh, exams and all that when we first entered the hospital. Maybe this was day three or so. I don't know. Hey, guy wants to see you in the back. I go back there and this doctor goes, look, in layman's terms, I'm going to show you something. This is where your liver is at. If you go past this, your liver ain't coming back. In other words, we caught you at the right time. You don't have much more drinking in your life. And uh, just wanted to show you this and show you how close you are to going over this, past this line and never coming back. And that shocked me a little bit. That shocked me a lot. But I felt relieved that that uh, I had some encouraging news, as in don't drink again, because uh, your life could, your liver depends on it. Went through these days of 28 days, uh, going outside and playing volleyball or whatever we played, some sort of exercise. They had a ping pong ball table, ping pong ball, ping pong table there, and, you know, just a fun place. 28 solid days. And I remember one of the weirdest things, thinking, one of the weirdest things I've ever seen was New Year's Eve day. They were telling us, we're going to have some, all right, we're going to have some sort of special, uh, special little party going on at New Year's. We're going to count down into a brand new year of sobriety. And we said, all right, that sounds cool. So they brought us into the lunchroom recreational area right around 11.45, New Year's Eve night. And I remember thinking I was in a funk because I'm thinking about all my friends. I'm thinking about how awesome it would be to have a drink. Gosh, if only I could have one beer. I'm thinking about Mission Beach and all the fun that's going on out there. So right around 11.45 or so, I look over and some of the staff from the hospital, they're putting together, no kidding, they're putting together these plastic uh, champagne glasses, wine glasses, these plastic glasses they're putting together. And then right at midnight, pop, 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 pop. They open up all these bottles of apple cider. 
They looked like champagne bottles, identically. They had the same pop, identically. And they poured apple cider into our glasses. What kind of trigger do you think that was? <laughs> Man. Hey, happy new year. Hey, may happy new year there, Chuck. Drinking lousy apple cider. Bubbly. Bubbly apple cider. The same look and sight of champagne. Right before I'm about ready to get out of this 28-day spend cycle, this 28-day rehab, my uh, two counselors get together and they're going over each person one by one by one by one. And they go to me and they evaluate me and they tell me this and they tell me that. Then they make their recommendations. I'll never forget this. And their recommendations to me, without a doubt underlining this, was you when you get out of here, first of all, obviously you need to attend meetings. That's a no-brainer. You need to get a sponsor. And we recommend highly that you stay in a recovery home. Do not go back home where you lived. Do not go back home where you drank on your bed. Do not go back to that area. Do not. And I walked out of there. A couple hours later, my my mom and my stepdad came out to see me. Now, they could not be part of this one-on-one experience because parents were uh, and family members were, were invited to be part of this experience to listen to the counselor's recommendations. So I passed on what the counselors said to my mom. And my I said, Mom, they, they, they think I'm doing great. As a matter of fact, they recommend this and this and this and this and this and this. And then I lied through my teeth. They actually said, Mom, it's okay if I go home. And I can't wait. I'm going to go home and I'm going to start a new life with my, you know, be with my cats and I'm going to be sober. And my mom hugged me. And the, the only thing I could think of was if I can fool my mom, great. Because already I was thinking about getting out of that hospital and drinking. I really was. I was. Isn't that insane? So the last day we all get together and hug each other and we are uh, given a certificate and this and that and we're given a letter that we can take back to our employers. They gave me a whole week to go home and relax and get my stuff together and and I would be armed with a letter to go in to take to my, the morning show I was on and and you know, I did think to myself, look, I've let these people down twice already. What makes you think they're going to be thrilled to have you back? But I was getting out of there. And when I got out of there, I had a game plan. Did that game plan work? Well, I'll tell you how and if that game plan worked. And the bottom, my bottom was nearing. And I'll tell you exactly on the next episode how that I reached that bottom. My name is Bromo. This is a, there is a way out. I so appreciate you listening to this. And for anybody who is suffering and going through it, yes, there is a way out. <laughs>